listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. You can enjoy more messages like this and more with the free Courage Matters app, available in your app store. To invite Michael to speak to your group, visit CourageMatters.com and click on the Your Story tab. Hold on to your seat and open your heart as Mike teaches us from God's Word. A man named Pete, who was 85 years old, loved to golf. He loved to golf so much that he would go two to three times a week. And he had been doing that since he retired 20 years earlier. That's a guy that loves to golf. And it's a guy who's got a little bit of money because it's not cheap to go golfing. Well, the only problem is that Pete had a difficulty issue with his eyesight. His eyes were going bad. And one day he comes home after trying to golf, and he's complaining to his wife and really discouraged and downcast. He says, you know, hon, I'm tired of golfing. I love it, but I'm tired of it. I can't do it anymore. I can't see where the ball goes. So his wife patiently listens to him, and they sit down, and they begin to have their meal. And he's complaining and going on and on about his eyesight and how he can't see. Well, his wife finally pushes her plate aside and says, you know, honey, I've got an idea. Why don't you take my brother with you? He says, your brother, why in the world would I take my brother-in-law, your brother, golfing with me? He's 101 years old. She says he might be 101 years old, but he has perfect eyesight. So the man thinks about it a little bit. The next day, he decides to do a good thing, takes his wife's advice. And he goes golfing with his 101-year-old brother-in-law with perfect eyesight. So Pete steps up to the green, gets ready to tee off, reels back and hits that golf ball. It should have been videotaped. It goes down that fairway cuts right through the wind, lands in a perfect spot. The only problem is Pete can't see it. No problem, he's got his brother-in-law with him. So he says to his brother-in-law, where did the ball go? Did you see where it goes? He goes, I did see where it goes. I have perfect eyesight. He says, well, where did it go? Where did it land? He says, I can't remember. (laughs) Vision is kind of important for life, let alone golf, and so is memory, because you need to know where you're going and you need to know and remember where you're going to go, where you need to keep going. Very, very important. Now, you can see what people who are listening by podcast cannot see, that I am wearing glasses. It wasn't always that way. When I was in college, when I was in a large lecture hall at Rutgers University, I began to recognize that I had difficulty seeing the professor way down in front of the classroom. And so what I did is the same thing that you would do, maybe you've done this. I went to an optometrist and he stood behind some machinery as I, we kind of looked eye to eye together through this machinery and he gave me a battery of tests and then he began to nod and shook his head as he stepped back and he said, yep, just what I suspected. Your eyes are shaped in an oblong way. They're not following the same shape as your cornea. Now, I've been called an egghead before, but now this explained it. And what's happening is the light is entering your eye, but the odd shape of your eye is causing the light to focus before your cornea. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I have weird-shaped eyeballs. And what that's doing is because the light is focusing in front of your cornea, it's causing your vision to be blurry. I thought, oh my goodness. And then he tops it all off and he throws this million dollar word at me. He says, you have myopia. I said, oh gee, I've got myopia. (laughs) I've got myopia. (laughs) And he could tell, I guess the the blood must have drained out of my face. He could tell that I was concerned. He started laughing. He said, no, don't worry about it. It's called nearsightedness. That's what myopia is. All we need to do is give you a pair of prescription corrective glasses and you'll be on your way, no problem. And I've been wearing glasses ever since. You know, if you have myopia, if you have nearsightedness or maybe you have other type of an eyesight problem, many instances you can get a pair of prescription glasses, a pair of corrective glasses that will adjust where the light comes into your eye and how it focuses and then you can see it's a corrective issue. It's not too difficult and we live in the 21st century where there are more and more options for that corrective glasses, correct vision that would otherwise be blurry, out of focus, impaired. Well, you know, in a similar way, many of us need our spiritual vision adjusted. It's blurry. It's out of focus. And God has given us something to correct that vision. 
to help us have vision that is focused, vision that's clear, vision that keeps us living the way we should live, keep us moving in the direction we should be moving. And that corrective tool is the Bible, God's Word. God's Word is what helps us have clarity of God's vision. And I'm excited about this message series, and I hope you are too, called Vision for Life. And we're going to kick it off in Romans chapter 12. Turn with me in our Father's Word, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. See, I'm excited because we're going to talk about God's vision, and you're going to get a clearer picture, a clearer understanding, a clearer focus of God's vision for your life individually. If you're married and you're part of a family, you're also going to have clarity over your vision for your family, specifically God's vision for your family. And even more expansive, not only for your individual life, not only for your family, but also for our church family. We're going to have a clearer vision for our church family. So this message series applies for you individually, it applies for your family, and it applies to the family of God. And why is this series important? Because you're important to God. You are important to God. You are important to us. And I hope there's something that I say today Something, more importantly, that God says to you today and in our times together over the next few weeks that will encourage you in your walk with God, particularly in this area of vision. We're not only going to cover vision, we're also going to cover the mission of every individual Christ follower, the mission of every family that claims to be a Christian family, and the mission of every single church on God's green earth, even if it's on parched ground. Every church should have the same mission. Every family that follows Christ should have the same mission. Every individual Christ follower should have the same mission. But we're not going to stop with just vision and mission. We're also going to cover five key values that every Christ follower should have. Five key values that every follower of Jesus Christ should have. And in fact, those five values are values that every Christian family should have and every church should have. In fact, we've been using these five values, I've been using these five values as I've been serving and leading here at this church, and even before, in my own life, and by the time we're done, you're going to be persuaded. You're going to be convinced that these five values are good enough, they're biblical, they're solid, they're transformational, you're going to be able to use and adopt these five values in your own life, in your own family, and here at the church. Now let's look at God's vision for your life and for your family and for this church found in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Those two verses are going to be the focus of our time, our remaining time. Now, we could go to many passages of the Bible to get an understanding of God's vision for our life, for our families, and for a church. And I encourage you to do that. There is no one verse. There is no single passage in the Bible where God's vision is fully expanded, fully explained. The whole book from Genesis to Revelation contains God's vision for your life, God's vision for you and your spouse and for your children who are being led under your leadership. The whole Bible contains God's vision for a church. And so if you're a wise person, not a wise guy, if you're a wise person, you will make the study and the meditation of God's Word the prime objective of your life because it's not possible to serve and love and enjoy a God you don't know. It's not possible to have otherwise blurry spiritual vision clarified, corrected, focused, unless you are in the Word of God. All of it is there for a reason, not only to record history, 
but also to provide vision for your life, vision for your family, vision for a church. That's why we prioritize the preaching and teaching of God's Word here. But you know, we don't just want to prioritize the preaching and teaching of God's Word. We want to apply the Word of God. Otherwise, we will become Pharisees, whitewashed tombs, hypocrites. The difference between a disciple and a Pharisee is the application of God's Word. Do you understand that? Oh, how we need to understand that in the body of Christ today. We've had so much Bible teaching in the land of the free and the home of the brave, in the United States of America, why is it that our country is continually headed down the wrong track? Why is it that men especially, men and women, but men especially, are afraid to lead? Why is it that we have a leadership void in this nation? See, the leadership void is a symptom of a deeper crisis. It's a symptom of a deeper issue. And the deeper issue is that we know God's Word, but we're not putting it into practice. God already has given us a prescription for how our nation is turned around. God has already given us, in His Word, a prescription for how a nation is turned around. God's already given us, in His Word, a prescription for how a life is turned around. God has already given us, in His Word, a prescription for how a family is turned around. Are you following me? God has already given us, in His Word, a prescription for how a nation is turned around. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Not just any God. That's the covenant personal name of God, Yahweh, that God. Blessed is the nation whose God is that God. Blessed is the family whose God is the God of the Bible. Blessed is the individual whose God is the God of the Bible. What we know in God's Word has to make its way from our brain to our heart to our hands and to our feet to our mouths to our thinking. Every part of us has to be changed. In fact, that's what these two verses in Romans chapter 12 are all about. It's about change. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Notice he's talking to a group of people. We're so used to reading the Bible on an individualistic basis, we forget that this is being written to a whole group of people, brothers, sisters, all of you. I appeal to all of you, collectively and individually, collectively and individually. I appeal to you. There's a sense in which Paul the Apostle, he's pleading, he's begging. This is a guy who is a Pharisee. This is a guy who was trained in the best of the schools, who had a great, rich, deep vocabulary. And this guy is having difficulty with his words, difficulty with his words, trying to find the right words that would be appropriate to express and to encourage us, to encourage his people to respond in the right way, to respond to what God has done. He spent the whole rest of this book up to this point talking about all that God has done in salvation through Jesus Christ. He's just finished talking about how God's going to turn his attention to the Jewish people and how Israel's going to be saved and rescued. He's laid his theology out from Romans chapter one all the way up to this point, and he pauses for a moment. He stops for a moment. He pushes that pause button, slows down long enough, and even though he's inspired under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that it's not just Paul's words, it's God's words through Paul, he realizes, I can't get the right words to appeal to you, to encourage you, to challenge you, to inspire you to make the rest of your life a response to Christ's life in you. Well, that's a pretty significant thing when a man of great vocabulary can't find the right word to respond to such a great God and such a great salvation, but yet this is one such instance. Therefore, what's it there for? It's a response word. 
You say therefore because something else has happened. And what's happened is Paul has been writing and helping people understand. Jesus Christ has saved you. He's purchased you with his own blood. Because you couldn't do it. Save yourself. Nobody else could do it for you. You couldn't offer enough sacrifices for that to be sufficient. In fact, look with me at Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 23. Here's the predicament and the solution. Here's the predicament and the solution, Romans 3, 23. For a few of us have sinned and really fallen short of the glory of God. And the way out of this hole is to be as good a person as you can, pray, give all your money, be a good person, and maybe at the end of your life, God will forgive you. That is not what it says. So stop living your life as if it were what it says. What it says is, for all have sinned, all means all, and fall short of the glory of God. We have missed the bullseye of what God requires, the mark. Flawlessness, sinlessness. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And here's the good news. And are justified by his grace, his undeserved favor. Not by good deeds, not by giving money, not by going to see somebody and confessing all of your sins and having them absolved, humanly speaking. Not by praying a certain number of times during the course of a day, facing in a particular direction, be that as it may, as some might believe. It's not the way it works. We're justified making it, God has made it just as if you've never sinned. We're justified freely by his undeserved, unearned favor. That's what grace is. Through the redemption, the buyback, the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation. Don't get scared about that million-dollar word. An atoning sacrifice, a sacrifice on behalf of your sin whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Wow. God makes it just as if you've never sinned by undeserved favor, unearned favor, by faith. That what Jesus did on the cross, he did for you. God presented him as a propitiation, an atoning sacrifice, a replacement offering for you. And all you need to do is accept the substitute that God the Father provided in your place. That's all. That's too easy. Well, it's easy for you. Wasn't easy for Jesus when he was sweating blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. Considering the punishment that would bring you peace and the weight of the world that was on his shoulders, don't think that that's too easy. It's easy for you. God loves you and he loves me so much that he would do all of the work, not some of the work in salvation, not most of the work in salvation, but all of the work. See, when you have this epiphany and the circuits blow and you say, aha, you have that moment and you say, that's it, that's all it takes to be saved, congratulations, you just crossed over from darkness to light. You understand how easy God has made it for anybody who has sinned, everybody who has sinned, to have all of their sins forgiven, but you can't stop there. You have to accept the gift that's offered to you, which is salvation, propitiation, the atoning sacrifice, the sacrifice that was paid in your place. If you don't accept the gift, you don't get to experience the gift. That's the way it works. And if you don't believe me, men, Go out and buy your wife a nice, beautiful, expensive piece of jewelry. 
offer it to her, wrap it up if you would beforehand, present it to her. Watch the look on her face as she gets this surprise gift and begins to unpack it. And as she opens the lid and sees the jewels glistening and gleaming, don't worry about it, you're not permanently giving this to her. You're going to return this. Say to her, you know, hon, I'd love to give that to you, but it's not yours. Your wife has to receive that gift before she can claim it as her own. It does you and me no good whatsoever until and unless you accept the one-for-one sacrifice that God has made for the forgiveness of your sins through the priceless, one-of-a-kind, never-again blood of Jesus Christ. Have I made that clear? So when we get to Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul is talking about a response. He's not talking about salvation in regard to a living sacrifice because you can't save yourself. We just read that in Romans chapter 3. Same writer, Paul. So when he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. He's not talking about saving yourself through the living sacrifice. It's probably an allusion or a nod to the book of Leviticus. You know, in the first five chapters of the book of Leviticus, there are the five major offerings in the Old Testament. And the first one is the whole offering or the burnt offering where the entire animal was to be consumed by fire as a symbol representing the person giving the offering being totally dedicated, totally given to God. Every single part of that animal was given to God. It's not coming back off the altar. This is probably the imagery that Paul is conjuring here as a Pharisee, not just a Roman citizen, but as a Pharisee, one familiar with the Old Testament, probably what he's talking about, the living sacrifice, and what he's saying to you, what he's saying to me, those of us who have received Jesus as the one-for-one substitution sacrifice for the forgiveness of your sins. Those of us who have done that and have had all of our sins forgiven by undeserved favor, the grace of God, through faith, simply accepting the gift. Those of us who have done that now have the opportunity and the charge and the privilege and the obligation. The opportunity, the charge, the privilege, and the obligation to do something with your life now that you have eternal life. God's vision for your life, God's vision for my life, God's vision for your family if you're a family of Christians, and God's vision for a church is that we live surrendered lives to God. It's not possible to get busy for God and to be a living sacrifice without being someone who prioritizes worship. Did you notice that that's what Paul is driving at here? which is your spiritual worship. No mention of a guitar, no mention of drums, no mention of singing. Many of us should breathe a big sigh of relief that that's the case. You think I'm talking about you, I'm talking about the person who knows you sing off key. (laughs) They don't wanna hear you try to sing anymore. That's why elsewhere in the scriptures it says sing and make music in your hearts to God. True worship is all about being a living sacrifice. You can give God all kinds of other things, but if you don't give God what he's asking for, if you don't fulfill the vision that God has for your life, if your family's not fulfilling the vision that God has for your family, if the church is not giving to God what God is looking for in living sacrifices, then we have missed the bullseye of worship It's all about worship. What do I mean it's all about worship? Every single part of your life from the inside out is to be about worship. In the same way, in the book of Leviticus, the whole offering, the burnt offering was given entirely to God as surrender to God. Your life, my life, the lives of everyone in your family, the lives of everyone in the church are to be living sacrifices holy 
and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, my only regret today, we don't have enough time to exhaust these two verses, but I'm going to whet your appetite enough that you're going to see that when I say that the Bible is such a book that man couldn't write if he would and wouldn't write if he could, that it's true. Notice that he uses a four-letter word here that is an acceptable four-letter word. In fact, it's one you should embrace in your life as a Christ follower. It's one that should be a priority in your family if your family is a group of believers. It's a priority that should be in the lives of a group of believers in the body of Christ the church, the four-letter word, H-O-L-Y. It's not possible to give God worship if holiness is not at the epicenter. It's not possible to give God worship if holiness is not permeating from the epicenter and consuming everything. Holy. Purity. Whatever happened to it, it's importance. See, it does matter what you watch on television. It does matter those annoying fish hooks. You know what I'm talking about. Those annoying fish hooks when you go to a website that's supposedly by a conservative news station even. And off on the right, there's a sidebar of women who are wearing clothes they shouldn't be wearing, or even men. See, men aren't just tempted by women who are dressed that way. Women can be tempted by guys, you know, especially as we get older. Let's face it, guys. Do your best to present your body as a good-looking sacrifice to your wife. But it does get harder as we get older. There are fish hooks on websites. You're not going there intentionally, initially to look at that stuff. But if you're not careful, if you don't prioritize holiness, if you haven't made a covenant with your eyes not to look lustfully at a woman, as the book of Job says, if you haven't made up your mind ahead of time, see, this has to deal with vision. That God's vision for your life is that you be holy. Then when the test comes, you'll falter and stumble and sometimes even fall. A living sacrifice is a holy sacrifice and that's what makes it acceptable to God. This is not about you saving yourself because we know from Romans chapter three, you can't save yourself. It has to deal with once you are saved, you are to be sanctified. God's vision for your life, God's vision for your family, God's vision for a church family is that we be living sacrifices, walking in holiness, not legalism. Don't confuse legalism with holiness. It's not the same thing. We be walking in purity. That's what it means to be a walking worshiper. That's what it means. God's vision for your life, God's vision for your family, God's vision for this church is that we be living sacrifices characterized by holiness, characterized as being worshipers. You don't have to have any type of musical inclination whatsoever to be a successful worshiper. See, what we've done in the body of Christ is we've limited the biblical definition of worship. And sometimes we know we don't mean what we say when we say a worship team or a worship band or we're going to have a time of worship. Let me ask you a question. When are we not having a time of worship according to what the Bible says? Where does the Bible present that Here's an opportunity to worship God, and then over here, this doesn't have to be worship to God. It doesn't matter if it's holy. It doesn't matter if it's set apart to him. That's what holiness is, being set apart from the world, set apart from your flesh, set apart from the devil, and set and dedicated to God. Where could we find a passage in the Bible that presents any part of our lives that God doesn't have anything to do with. We don't find that. That's why the imagery that's present here, presented here of a living sacrifice is the idea of it being totally consumed. That is the appropriate response for a Christ follower. 
If you've been washed in the blood by Jesus Christ, if you've given your life to Jesus by grace and faith, if that's happened, that's undeserved favor, not by what you've done, but what God has done that you have simply received by faith, then the appropriate response, therefore, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God. See, the mercies of God, God has not given you, he's not given me the punishment that we deserve. That's the mercy of God. We deserve to go into an eternity. Adam and Eve deserve. The moment they took that fruit, they did get kicked out of the garden. They did get kicked out of the immediate presence of God. That's the whole idea that's described and discussed in Genesis, that when they left the garden, they were out of the presence of God. Spiritual death is separation. When God told them, don't eat that fruit, because when you do, you will die, well, why did they live hundreds of years later and then physically die? God was not just speaking about physical death. He was speaking first and foremost about spiritual death. What you and I deserve is to be eternally separated from God. It is the undeserved favor of God. It is the mercy of God, the withholding of the judgment we deserve. That's what mercy is. Grace, the blessing of God, giving us salvation, is getting a blessing that we don't deserve. Mercy is God withholding punishment that we deserve. And Paul is appealing to you. He's appealing to me. He's appealing to our church. He's appealing to your family. In light of God withholding the judgment, the penalty that you deserve, that I deserve, the only acceptable, appropriate response, the vision that you should have for your life is God's vision. The vision that you should have for your family is God's vision. The vision that we must have for this church and for every church is God's vision. There should be no daylight between God's vision and your vision. They should be interchangeable and synonymous. Your vision should be the adoption of God's vision, which is that you be holy, that you live a holy life, that I live a holy life, that you be a living sacrifice, that the people in your household are living sacrifices following your example. Following your example. Men, you are given the primary charge. Husbands and wives together are given that charge. But men, the primary responsibility rests on you to blaze the trail, lead the way, set the example for being a living sacrifice in your family to ensuring that that vision, God's vision, is being manifest in your family. Ladies, you are to encourage that. You are to support that. You are to also be responsible in ensuring that your family is characterized by holiness. Vitally important. You know, when we look at Romans chapter 12, look at what it says here. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. There's an interchangeability here where Paul is talking about the individual and the group. Everybody is supposed to conduct themselves together corporately as one united living sacrifice. Imagine if that would happen in this church. Imagine if that would happen if you're listening by podcast in your church. If instead of having a bunch of individuals who just gather and sing songs, that those individuals came together and together offered themselves in unity as one living sacrifice. That's what Paul is talking about here. How do I know that? Because if you were to study, if I were to study, if we were to study together Romans chapter 12 verses 3 and on, we would see that Paul begins to talk about spiritual gifts and the exercise of those spiritual gifts. He says in verse 3, for by the grace given me I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment according to the measure of faith God has assigned. 
For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one body, having gifts that differ according to the grace, undeserved favor given to each one of us individually. Let us use them if prophecy, which means declaring the word of God in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts, etc., etc. The whole implication here is that God has given you as a Christ follower a spiritual or several multiple spiritual gifts that you are then to combine with other individuals and together, together, together we become one living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is God's vision for your life. This is God's vision for your family. It is. There's no greater, deeper, higher, more significant vision than this. This is God's vision for the body of Christ, that we offer ourselves individually and collectively as one living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Now, that's not possible collectively if it's not happening on an individual basis. And so your part is crucial. Your role individually is vital. We need you. The mystery of it all. We need you to live a surrendered life. We need you to be a living sacrifice to God individually. We're counting on you. Your family is counting on you to be a living sacrifice. The body of Christ, the church, It's counting on you, every single member, being a living sacrifice. We need you to be a living sacrifice. Why? Because God wants you to be a living sacrifice. Why? Because as you're a living sacrifice, and you're a living sacrifice, and you're a living sacrifice, and everybody becomes a living sacrifice, we get something that happens as a result of walking in God's vision. We get momentum. We get forward motion in the right direction. When you have God's vision for your life and you prioritize God's vision for your life and you prioritize God's vision for your family and you prioritize and we prioritize God's vision for this church and you as you're listening on podcast, when you get serious about God's vision individually and in your family and in the church, Forward momentum happens. God moves you forward. God moves your family forward. That's why many of us, our families are stuck. Because you're stuck. And as you get unstuck, and as you dust off the word of God and rediscover his vision for your life, which is holiness, his vision for your life, which is complete surrender, Partial surrender is not surrender. As you make every part of your life an act of worship and you kill the flick switch approach to life, that now I'm going to worship and then I'm not, and you begin to see the totality of your life as being a living sacrifice, and you begin to remember that the, the tendency of a living sacrifice, a living sacrifice is that it crawls off the altar. And what Paul is saying here You are to make it your ambition to not just once and for all, but initially and then perpetually. Initially and then in an ongoing way, your life is to be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is spiritual worship. That's God's vision for your life. That's God's vision for your family. That's God's vision for the family of God, the church. There is no vision higher than that. That's what God wants. That's what God desires. That's what you should want as you're maturing, as you're reading the Word of God, as you're applying the Word of God, as you're becoming more and more sanctified, more and more set apart for the glory of God. You know what happens? Momentum. See, when you surrender your life to God, there is momentum where you don't have time for other stuff because when you're a living sacrifice, something happens, you get clarity. You get clarity in your life. 
clarity comes. Look with me. Clarity about what? Look at verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Now, by the way, the word transformed there is the same word that's used in Matthew chapter 17, in Mark chapter 9, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. It's the word that I wish was, trans- was translated as metamorphosis. That's where we get that word from. It's the word that is used of Jesus when he became transfigured before them and his appearance changed and he became white. His clothes were dazzling white. That's what's used here. Be transfigured by the renewing of your mind. Imagine if it had been translated that way. How we would have connected the dots. Well, now they're connected for you and for me. God's vision for your life is that you be transfigured from the inside out, that you become the person that you otherwise would not be. You look different because you are different. Do not be conformed to this world. Stop conforming to this world. Don't you think that we've conformed enough to the pattern of this world? Now, I am not saying let's get on a legalism bandwagon. Don't drink, don't smoke, dress this way, don't get body piercing, don't do this, don't wear makeup. I'm not talking about that. I'm not promoting legalism at all. I'm talking about from the inside. From the inside, we as followers of Jesus Christ seem to have lost our way, and that's why we focus on the outside. If God transfigures you from the inside as a result of you deliberately, intentionally buying into his vision that you be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, then everything on the outside will change. Focus on the inside. That's what the Bible teaches. And God will take care of the outside. Look what happens here. Do not be conformed to this world. Be transfigured. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Of all the things Paul could talk about, your mind is a battlefield. A battlefield. You are being assaulted to think things about God that are not true, to think things about yourself that are not true, to think things about other people that are not true, to undermine the will, plan, purpose, and vision of God. There, I said it. The cat's out of the bag. That's the way it works. Your mind is under assault. Haven't we had enough of having our minds being conformed to the pattern of this world? That's why our witness in the United States of America has waned and is wanting and is weak because we have lost God's vision for our lives. We are not understanding how transfiguration takes place. Be transfigured, not just your mind, your whole body. Be transformed by the renewal of one thing, your mind. As the mind goes, all of you goes. How about that for being strategic? I don't have enough time to exhaust all this. Lord, we need you to stop time. Be transfigured by the renewal of your mind, your whole life, everything about you will change if you give God your mind. It does matter. You know, it drives me nuts, and it should. Should drive some of you parents nuts, and it doesn't. And that bothers me. When I see children here at the church glued to a smart device, a phone, or an iPad, And all these children gathered around them, and the children don't have good social skills. The iPad, the iPhone has become the babysitter. Listen, if your child, whether it's a teenager or younger, if somebody is under your leadership, and they're spending more time on their iPad and their smartphone. Now, I'm all for smart devices. The God Factor app, for example, all for it. But if your child, if somebody's under your house and they're spending more time on their iPad or their smart device, then you are around the table talking about the things of God and them spending time in the Word of God and walking closely with Him. I'm going to say this, and you can email me all you want all this week. I say it lovingly. I want you to consider it before the Lord. Don't come after me. Go after God. 
You have to ask yourself this question, are you really leading in your household according to the God's vision for you and for your family? What are your children spending their time on? It is because you, as the leader in your household, are tolerating it. And if you are tolerating it, you are encouraging it. And if you are encouraging anything other than your children and your family being characterized as being a living sacrifice, you have lost God's vision for your family. What do you think people did 50 years ago when there was no smartphone? They spent time together. Talked about things. Processed. Took time. You know, if you're so busy that you don't have time for your children, then you're too busy. But the reason why you're too busy is because you lost track of God's vision. Process that before the Lord. Spend some time this week as the leader in your household and ask God, ask him, is there anything that I need to repent of in my leadership of my family? Is there anything that I need to repent of personally? Have I farmed out the spiritual development of my children to the church? When God's vision is that I be a living sacrifice, God's vision is that your whole family be characterized as being a living sacrifice. No wonder we have problems when we come together as a church. No wonder why churches have problems when they come together, because the sum is the whole of the parts. And God's vision for your life and God's vision for my life is that we be surrendered Surrendered, living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. That is spiritual worship. Look here. Do not be conformed to this world. Be transfigured, be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is. What is the will of God? What is good and acceptable and perfect? So you've got a problem and I've got a problem. You might have it now. You're going to have it in the future. You've had it in the past. You needed clarity on something. You needed to know what God's will was. You need to know what God's will is. And I can guarantee you're going to have circumstances in the future of your life. You're going to have circumstances on your horizon where you're going to need to know the will of God. And what Paul is teaching here is that when we live surrendered lives, when we are living sacrifices individually, in our families, when our families are living surrendered lives, living sacrifices, prioritizing intimacy with God because that's what holiness is. Without the legalism, that's what holiness is, intimacy with God. When that happens in a church, the will of God becomes crystal clear. You see, God's will becomes crystal clear as a byproduct of surrender. The issue in life is not, God, I need to know your will. The issue is, God, am I walking as a living sacrifice? Because when you do, when I do, when we do, the will of God becomes as clear as crystal. God's vision provides clarity for your life. It's easy to say no when you have a big enough yes. Being a living sacrifice, prioritizing God's vision for your life provides clarity. It enables you to say no to things that you would otherwise say yes to that you shouldn't say yes to. It enables you to say yes to what God wants for your life, what God wants for your family, what God wants in a church. There's consequences. There are consequences to vision. It provides clarity. It also provides confidence. When you embrace God's vision for your life, you know this is the way. Walk in it. The Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all he does. Double-mindedness, notice the mind again, is one of the clearest evidences of crawling off the altar of being a living sacrifice. If you want 
confidence, if you want sure-footedness, if you want to be able to dig your heels in, dig your feet in, and stand in the midst of the turmoil that you otherwise would be facing and not be shaken, you've got to know God's vision for your life. You've got to know it. Your family, in order to give your family strength, listen, You've got to have the members in that family committed to the same thing, and they've got to follow your lead. Don't blame your children for turmoil in your family. God can give you, if you even have difficulty with your children, God can give you peace. It does not mean that you are always responsible for what decisions your children make, but it also doesn't mean that you're not responsible at all for the decisions that your children make. Each situation stands on its own merits, and there can be complications there. I'm, I don't have time to get into that, but what I am saying is this. Be responsible for being a living sacrifice individually. Take it seriously. Be responsible for your family being characterized as being a group of living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. Be responsible personally, individually, in the body of Christ, in your church, in this church, in any church, be responsible for if it's going to be, it's up to be. As for me and my house, I'm gonna be a living sacrifice. And that's what I'm bringing to the table. That's what God wants you to bring to the table. When you have, when I have, when we have God's vision, it provides clarity, it provides confidence, and it provides momentum. That's what it does. And all we've done is just look at Romans 1 and 2, verses 1 and 2, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and we are seeing the importance of God's vision for yourself, for your family, for a country, and for a nation. And you know what happens when God's people get God's vision individually and in families and in the church? Revival. Revival comes as a direct result of being a living sacrifice to God. Revival is the deepest need that you have personally, that I have personally. The deepest need in your family is that God would revive. God has a great track record of taking what's dead, taking what has lost its luster, taking what's lost its vibrancy, and renewing it and reviving it. And you know, it's easy for us to look at the nation and say, our nation needs healing. Our nation needs revival. But let's back it up a step and ask, what about my family? What about my church? What about me? See, if every single one of us individually right here, right now, and every single one of us listening by podcast right here, right now, stopped looking at revival as being something out there that needs to happen to other people, something nebulous that needs to happen to the nation, if every single one of us began embracing God's vision that we be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, if we made spiritual worship our number one priority individually, something would happen in our families. Something would happen in the body of Christ. And something would happen in this nation. You've been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. We'd love to hear how this message impacted you. To share your story, visit CourageMatters.com and click on the Your Story tab. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters Podcast, where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. To learn more, visit CourageMatters.com. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking.